Very good. Well, listen, let's turn, if you will, to Hosea. Hosea chapter 2. Now, a few weeks ago, we did Hosea chapter 1 and uh, a couple of weeks in Hosea 1. And then we did Hosea chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to talk a little bit about those. Last time, we did a supplement to Hosea chapter 2 and 1 because we wanted to kind of lay and establish a prophetic view of where all of this was headed. And to some extent, we're going to talk a little bit about that as we get into the rest of chapter 2 tonight. And I do have to encourage you and let you know uh, that we will be finished with chapter 2 tonight. So it's not going to be dragging on like I like to... I like to drag things out a little bit, but not tonight. No, we've got to finish this one up. So verses 1 through 9 of chapter 2, as we're getting ready to, to study the last portion of this chapter. Verses 1 through 9 of chapter 2 make up a, a very hopeful passage. There's, there's a lot of hope here amid the gloom of judgment. And as we focused on the last two verses of chapter 1 last time, there was, a, there was definitely a look to the future restoration of Israel and a destruction yet to come upon the enemies of God's people. And as I said, that of course is going to happen still at the end of days. But it brought to mind what was being said at the end and at the beginning of this chapter the end of last chapter and the beginning of this one, and that is, God is actually saying, you are my people, when at one time he said, you're not my people. He said, you are my people, and I am your God. So that's hopeful enough, isn't it? It's hopeful enough that when God has to deal with us and his people, he deals strongly, as we said last time, in the fullness of truth, he did say what he said to them, very harshly, very strongly. But he also said, because of his promise in his keeping of the covenant between him and his people, that he, that they, I should say, would one day be his people again. So Israel still was deep in sin. Let's not forget that. Israel was deep in sin, idolatry being the main reason for God's anger toward them. And so he began to liken that sin, that sin of idolatry, to adultery. The very reason why he had Hosea go marry someone named Gomer, and she was a prostitute, she was a harlot. That became the focus of the object lesson to Israel. Hosea and Gomer were the object lesson for God and his people Israel. They were to have been married to their God and he was to be the one to provide for them and for them to trust in him. But Israel soon began to trust in other gods. And then they, they actually split, the whole nation split. 
and the nation that is being spoken of, or the, the, the part of the nation that's being spoken of is the northern kingdom of Israel, the ones who went north, the ones who, who settled in Samaria and upwards up to the area of Dan, where they had an altar uh, that uh, they were uh, worshiping uh, golden calves and other, other gods. In fact, they were worshiping Baalim, the Baals, and we'll talk about them in a moment. And so an appeal is made and a warning is issued. <coughs> Excuse me, and it is <coughs> to a young elect remnant of Israel that we see God speaking at the very beginning of chapter 2. Where he says in effect to Hosea, and Hosea is to say to them, Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, which is, of course, my people, and to your sisters, Ruhamah, which is, you have been granted mercy. And they are to plead with their mother. Notice, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. So there, there, there's two parts to all of this. Of course, Hosea and Gomer, God and Israel. Hosea, Hosea and Gomer are the object lesson to the nation of Israel. So they are disowned by the Lord, and this is what we hear in these statements. He, uh, they are disowned by the Lord as his wife, that being Israel, because of her infidelity and grievous punishments are threatened. Of course, if God threatens, he's going he's to make good on his, on his threats. But I, I say threats only in this particular sense, that throughout the book of Hosea, there are given oftentimes uh, opportunities for Israel to repent. Because verse 2 of chapter 2 is also the very first plea to Israel for repentance. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither uh, am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. In other words, put them away, repent from them, turn from them. This is a plea for repentance. We'll see that often in this prophecy. Well, the Lord wanted this people to do so many things. First of all, he wanted them to evaluate their own walk. He wanted them to evaluate their walk. Where was their walk today? I say today being then. Their walk, of course, was far from God. They were walking so far from God. But even at the very same time, what were they doing? What they were doing was, on the Sabbath, they'd get together and they would do what they did on the Sabbath, and then they would go and, and then they would offer their tithes and all. Yet everything continued to go, even if they did that, let's say, from the perspective of their Jewish religion, nonetheless, by the evening, they were going into the groves and worshiping other gods. So he wanted them to evaluate their walk. Secondly, he wanted them to understand that pursuing fleshly desires would never satisfy. They would keep pursuing them, and they would never get satisfied. They would seek after more, they would seek after more, they would seek after more. But if they trusted in their God, God would satisfy them in all of their needs, both physical and spiritual. Thirdly, God wanted them to hit rock bottom. 
Understand, that's God many times with us. He wants them to hit rock bottom to realize where they were and where they needed to be. Fourthly, he wanted them to realize from where their true blessings came. Their true blessings came from him, not from idols. And lastly, he wanted them to know judgment was coming and their sins would be exposed. It is here that we'll pick up in verse 10. But I want to start in verse 9, because verses 9 and 10 go together. And God says, therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof. So who was providing their food? The Lord was providing it, but they were saying it was the other gods. Therefore, he says, I want to come and take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof and will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. And now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers. In other words, there's nothing hidden in the sight of God. And none shall deliver her out of mine hand. Not one of their other gods, not one of their idols, not one of the whatever they were worshiping would ever or could ever deliver Israel out of his hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease. All of their joy, all of their gladness, all of their happiness, I will cause that to cease. Her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts, those are indications that they would actually keep the Jewish festivals. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she has said, these are my rewards that my lovers have given me. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. And I will visit upon her the days of Baalim. Remember that the I am in a word in Hebrew means plural, or it's a plural statement. So Baalim are Baals. I will visit upon her the days of Baals, Baals, wherein she burned incense to them. And she decked herself with her earrings. By the way, the earrings in the, in the Hebrew is actually nose rings. Just thought I'd clear that up. And her jewels. And she went after her lovers. And forget me, saith the Lord. So the unfaithful wife was guilty of being spiritually blind. That's verses 9 and 10. Spiritually blind. I want to take away these things that I've given you, but you say someone else gave them to you. And in the person of Gomer, she failed to realize that all good gifts that she had with Hosea. All the good things that she had with her husband Hosea had come from God. She ignored and turned away from the Lord and from her husband giving herself and her gifts to other lovers. And in Israel's case, the adulterous people also refused to acknowledge that all good gifts come from the Lord. 
every good gift comes from God. So instead of giving their tithes of thanksgiving to God, they gave their offerings to the idols of this world, in particular to the false god Baal. And as we said some time ago, of course, the god Baal had to do primarily with, with um, procreation and, and uh, prosperity, the harvest, you know, being the one that uh, they would pray to so that they would have good harvest and all, while it was actually the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that poured the water forth from the heavens to water the ground to bring their crops. And this is why he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to get, I'm going to take my crops back and my vineyards back and my wool back. And they were going to become destitute because they had stopped acknowledging their God as the one who was the true and living God. And what would these idolatrous people suffer in God's judgment? Well, they would certainly be deprived of God's care. They would be deprived of God's provision, losing even life's necessities, just basic food and clothing, the basic things that we ourselves have, whether we have what we want, that's not the issue. God has blessed us if we're clothed, if we have a place to lay our head, if we have a place to eat, or we have something to eat, whatever little or however much, you know, we give the glory back to God. We give the glory to God. We give it completely to God and to Christ. But there would be a public exposing and shame in the eyes of the world. And this is what is being said in this passage that we just finished reading, that, that uh, it would be making it hard for, for Israel to have good and supportive allies. And it's not really as if they needed allies because they had God. And the same thing goes back all the way to the very beginning of, of, of the nation of Israel. When God was their king, and the people, and of course this was in the time of the judges, and, and the people began to cry out and say to, you know, to Samuel the prophet, he said, ah, we, we want a king just like all the other nations. <laughs> God is saying, you want a king? I'll give you a king. And so he appointed Saul to be king. And we know what happened after all of that. Saul was anointed by Samuel. But it's interesting that the flask that he used was a flask that was made by man's hands. Eventually, when God anointed David to be the true king of Israel, he used the horn of a ram made by God himself to anoint David. So we see how Israel had become so dependent upon world relations. Still, by exposing them and shaming them in the eyes of the world, 
because of their great sin toward God. It made it hard for them to have these good supportive allies, which would also make them extremely vulnerable to attacks. 